we want to grow spiritually, here is an awesome plan to try. Uh, so thank you so much for Denise, and thank you to our three ladies for our skit. I appreciated that. Awesome. Some of you are wondering how my dad's doing, what the latest is. He had his appointment in Seattle, uh, and they got bad news. They basically found out that nobody survives what he has, um, which is not what you want to hear. Uh, but I stand here today just to remind us that God is still good, and he's still on the throne, and we can praise him in all circumstances. Uh, and so we have a lot to be looking forward to. We have a lot that we're going to try and do. Uh, my dad said, well, now we know we have to have a miracle if I survive. So that's what we're praying for. But if God doesn't provide it, God's still good. And he'll be healed, um, maybe not as soon as we want, but he'll be healed someday. So that's what we're looking forward to. Let's bow our heads one more time as we get into God's word this morning. Dear Lord, you're the God of the good times and you're the God of the bad times. And you love us and you're interested in our lives and you're trying to help us. And, and there are things that happen in this world that we don't understand. We don't always get the things that we pray for when we pray for them. But Father, we thank you that you love us and that you have a good plan to make all things new. So bless our church. Help us to, to go on this seven-week journey that Denise introduced. Help us to grow in you. Um, putting your word in our hearts and in our lives, affirming the promises you've given us. And teach us uh, a little bit more today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm a bit of a sentimental person. My wife knows well that I tend to hang on to things. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not like the person that you'd see on those TV programs, the hoarders, you know. Uh, I'm not that bad, but I do like to to make sure I'm good and ready uh, to throw something away before I throw it away. And I brought something along with me that came from Thailand. Can anybody tell what this is? Yeah, it's a, it's a shampoo bottle, right? I'm also a thrifty person. When I stay at a hotel, I, you pay a lot of money to be in a hotel, and they give these to you. They're not going to reuse them. You've used them partly. So I take them along with me. So I use this, uh, this particular is actually body wash, shower gel. But I tell you what, this stuff smells so good. It has a really good smell. Here, Lorena, see, see if you like that smell. Yeah, she says it's good. You can ask me after church. But I'm holding on to it, and I'm only using it every so often because, as you can see, there's not much left. And I can't just go back to Thailand, you know, to get more of this stuff. So the smell is really nice, but it also reminds me of the good time that we had on our trip. So what I have here is an illustration of the remnant, right? What's a remnant? It's what's left over. This is all I have, the remnant of our northern, Chang our, our northern Thailand um, hotel experience and all that went along with that. Fortunately, there is a, a website on the back, and I'm going to go to floralhotelsupply.com later on <laughs> see if I can buy some more of this stuff, <laughs> right? We're talking about the remnant today. Remnant part two, 
I had so much I wanted to say that I had to split it into two. And to be honest, I thought about making a three-part series, but you can't do a series within a series. And so we're just, we're doing what we can do today and stirring up your minds for more thoughts. Um, But we won't answer all the questions. We won't say everything we wanted to say, we being I, but that's the editorial we uh, that authors sometimes use in books, even though they're the only one who's writing. Anyhow. The last days and the remnant. We've seen already the remnant, a remnant, is what's left over. And if you've been around the Adventist church for a while, and you're familiar with the the beliefs of Seventh-day Adventists, you'll notice that in our fundamental beliefs is actually a statement about the remnant and the church. And we, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, feel that we we are identifying ourselves as the remnant listed in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. But we want to talk about how do we get to this point, and what does this mean? So I actually have the belief here up on the screen. I want to read it as we dive into our study. It says, the universal church is composed of all who truly believe in Christ. So as an Adventist church, we say everybody who truly believes in Christ is a part of the universal church. Amen? So that means that we recognize God has wonderful followers who are in all different churches around the world, people who are truly following after Christ. In fact, I think that there are even people who are followers of Christ who don't yet realize that they are followers of Christ. Uh, But God is wanting to lead them and draw them. You remember John chapter 10, Jesus said, "'Other sheep have I that are not of this fold.'" but them I must bring, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So we recognize that God has wonderful followers, because as you interact with different Christians from different faiths, I realize there are some wonderful people in the other churches of this town in Modesto. Would you agree? Do you have neighbors and coworkers and people who are just wonderful people? Uh, So sometimes when we talk about this remnant concept, it gives us the idea that we're, we're doing an us versus them, we're good, they're bad, and that's the end of it. But that is not at all what's the intent of this teaching and topic. Is that understood? God has wonderful people in all churches. And just because you're a member of this church doesn't mean that you're a good person, right? Um, you're not saved by being a member of any particular church. You're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, so that's the first phrase. But in the last days, a time of widespread apostasy, in the last days when people are following after all sorts of crazy things, a remnant has been called out to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation 12, 17. The remnant announces the arrival of the judgment hour, proclaims salvation through Christ, and heralds the approach of his second advent. In other words, God raises up a group of people to proclaim a specific message. And you'll notice those phrases there are patterned after Revelation 14, 6 through 12, the three angels' messages. And then it continues. It says, this proclamation is symbolized by the three angels of Revelation 14. It coincides with the work of judgment in heaven and results in a work of repentance and reform on earth. Every believer is called to have a personal part in this worldwide witness. Amen. So basically... 
God has wonderful people who are following him all around the world. But in the last days in particular, when their people are, have fallen away from so many of the teachings of Scripture, God raises up a group of people to proclaim a specific message, which is the, the last messages to the world, the three angels' messages. Uh, and God invites everybody to be a part of this group. So, as we get into this topic, we see the, the concept of a remnant is nothing new in Scripture. Just because we see it in Revelation uh, doesn't mean that's the only place it appears. We've actually seen the concept of a remnant all throughout Scripture, and God has had a visible um, group of people called a remnant throughout all ages. So there are three types of remnants that we can categorize in Scripture. There's a historical remnant, which basically just means the people who survived. Like, there were times when Israel were, was carried away captive. The people who survived and were, were, that didn't die in battle, but were carried to, let's say, Babylon, they were a historical remnant. They were neither, they weren't only good or only bad, they just were a mixture. They were the people that survived. Uh, so God had people that survived, a historical remnant. Uh, and then there's a faithful remnant. That's different places in Scripture. You see God describing a remnant, but it's people who are actively following his truth faithfully. So you can have a historical remnant, which may contain the faithful remnant, or God is trying to make into a faithful remnant. Uh, but a historical remnant alone can just be a group of people who made it through the battle and they came back, and they got to live. Faithful remnant are people who are actively following God faithfully. And then finally, you have the eschatological remnant, which is a last-day group of people, a last-day remnant. God brings them through a series of judgments and a refining process, and they're the people, eventually, who receive the kingdom and the land, uh, the people who are alive when Jesus returns. Uh, let's look at a few examples to make this a little bit more concrete in your mind. Genesis 45, verse 7, one of the earliest clear examples of a historical remnant. This is Joseph speaking. He said, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a what? A remnant. Thank you, the four of you. A remnant on earth. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. And to keep alive for you many what? survivors. So, so he's saying, God sent me to Egypt because he needed me to do something special. He needed me to help Egypt store up a lot of grain so that it could be sold to the nations who didn't have grain so that you guys, the rest of my family, could survive also because God needed a remnant here in this world. But were all of Joseph's brothers just totally faithful and totally awesome all the time? No, they had some issues, right? But God needed a remnant to survive. God needed the line of faithfulness to survive. He needed to get to Jesus so Christ could be born. He needed a remnant. And you can also look in Isaiah 46. Um, the, the, the people who came to Babylon, they were called a remnant by God, but they were a mixture, some faithful and others unfaithful. Um, in Nehemiah, the people who returned, Nehemiah 1, came back after the exile. They're described, and particularly in Ezra 9, they're described as good and bad. 
rebellious in Ezra 9. Uh, But God needed people to survive and to keep on the heritage. Uh, And there are other examples that we could give, but we also look at the faithful remnant. Faithful remnants are also mentioned in Scripture. And here's a great example, Noah and his family. Now, we know that they went on to do some, some not-so-good things, at least one of the sons. But Noah was the only one left, it says in Genesis 7.23, and those with him in the ark. And earlier in Genesis 6.10, it says that Noah was a righteous man. So God took that faithful remnant, put him in a boat. They survived the flood of water that covered the earth, and they lived to see and to repopulate the earth. What about Elijah? Elijah, he thought he was the only one left. He said, God, I'm the only faithful remnant. And what did God say to him? Actually, there are 7,000. <laughs> You're not that unique, Elijah. 1 Kings 19:18. You know, I was cleaning up after a wedding one time. You know how that goes. It's great if you get married because you get to leave. Everybody else stays behind. I was cleaning up from a wedding, and it was down to just a few of us. It was a big project, and I found myself saying the words of Elijah, I'm the only one left. (laughs) The only faithful remnant here that's cleaning after this wedding. (laughs) But we got the job done. You've been there. You know what that's like. (laughs) Elijah thought he was alone, but he actually wasn't alone. God had... 7,000 whose knees had not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And then an interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 4. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and the glory of the survivors in Israel. Survivors, right? So we're thinking remnant lines. Those who are left in Zion, who remain remnant language in Jerusalem, will be called what? Holy, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of fire. So you've got a historical remnant. You've got people who are left there, but God wants to do a cleansing work in their lives to cleanse them and turn them from just a historical remnant into a faithful remnant. Does that make sense? Okay, these distinctions are helpful, um, and and we'll see a little bit more why later on. But it it helps us realize that just because the word remnant is used doesn't mean that there's only one way to understand what that word means. We use language, and they have different meanings. And the Bible has the same thing with these concepts. And finally, there's the eschatological remnant. In the last days, a group of people who go through this cleansing and cleaning and eventually are left and survive. And we have some examples of that. Zechariah 13. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish. Yet, how much will be left? One-third, there'll be a remnant. This third I will bring into the what? Into the fire, because God is going to do a cleansing. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. A remnant that God will put through a fire of cleansing and they will be this end time 
remnant. Zephaniah 3, 9 and 13, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them that call on the name of the Lord will serve him shoulder to shoulder. The what of Israel? The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. It reminds me of uh, the 144,000 that we talked about. In their lips is no guile or no deceit. Revelation 14. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. A cleansing process for this final group of people. Back in Zechariah 14, 16. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem. Wait. The people that have attacked who? Jerusalem. So those would formerly be known as the enemies of God's people, right? The people that, but it says the survivors, they will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord who? Almighty. And celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. You see, God's intent in this eschatological remnant, this faithful end-time remnant, is not that they only be uh, one group of people, but God wants to gather all types of people together and purify all kinds of people so that they can be one group of people who are walking along, serving the Lord wholeheartedly. Does that make sense? So you have a historical remnant. Those are just people that survive, whether good or bad. But God wants to purify and preserve those people and turn them into a faithful remnant. People who are truly seeking and following after God. And in the last days, this group of people will be composed of a historical people that have been purified and people who've come from the outside and been purified. But God's goal is to have people who are professing faith when he returns to this world. Does that make sense so far, basically? Okay, now let's turn to Revelation chapter 12 because now we've got we to gotta make some, some tracks here, as they say. Revelation chapter 12, we want to look at the context in which... Revelation 12, 17 follows, uh, falls into. And so we go to Revelation chapter 12. We may not spend as much time here as some would like, but we have, we've talked more extensively on this topic previously in seminars and different things that we've done in our Sabbath school lesson, but we're going to give a, 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 at least a good overview here. Revelation chapter 12, when you're there, say, I'm there. This one will not be on the screen, so uh, if you want to follow along, you can do so. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So what's the first character that we have in Revelation 12? We have a woman who represents what, as we know? A church. Now we say, well, how do we know it represents a church? I thought about looking up a lot of these verses, but I'll let you look them up on your own. These are a sampling from Old and New Testament where God uses the symbol of a woman to represent his people. But it's good. We don't want to just assume things. We want to make sure we can demonstrate it from God's word. Uh, and of course, we put these sermons online and you can find them there later and you can look up all the verses or sometimes people like to write them down or just take a picture with their phone, uh, whatever you want to do. So we have a symbol of the church. 
And she's ready to give birth to a child. And then verse 3, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great and fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the ground. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now the translators in my Bible even give us a little hint because they capitalize C in child which gives us an indication, at least that their belief is that this is a divine child. Who is that child? It's Jesus himself, right? Now you're saying, well, wait, I thought you said the woman is the church. It wasn't the church that gave birth to a baby. It was the Virgin Mary, right? Well, she was a part of the church. So symbolically, the church was producing this body of people, the remnant, in those days, were giving birth to the Messiah. And it's interesting, the dragon is standing in front of the woman. It's almost like he has a mask on and the you know, scrubs and so forth and is standing here ready to deliver the baby um, like a doctor would. But his purpose is malicious. But as we know, she bears a male child, verse 5, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. A symbol later um, applied to Jesus in Revelation 19. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Clearly, this is none other than Jesus Christ. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her for 1,260 days. Now, some have tried to just apply this symbol of the woman to the Virgin Mary uh, and apply it only to her. But as you follow it along, we see that it, it just doesn't fit everything that had happened in her experience, um, and especially as you look at the symbols here. This time period, 1,260 days, where else in the Bible have we seen this time period before? Yeah, in the book of Daniel. We find a time period listed as the 42 months, time, times, and a half a time, and the 1,260 days. Um, and in Daniel, it's a very long time period, isn't it? It's not a short time period. It's a very long one because we have previously seen that this is not just 12,600 or 1,260 days, but 1,260 years. Very long time period. And so we jump on down to verse 13. It says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted who? The woman, Satan cast out of heaven, loses to Jesus time and time again. Now he realizes the only way to make God sad is to attack his children, his church. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. It's interesting Revelation is filled with symbols and allusions to the Old Testament we talked about last week. Revelation 12, 14 talks about two wings like an eagle. God said in Exodus chapter 19 to his people coming out of Egypt, basically, I gave you two wings that I might bring you to myself, the wings of an eagle. So we have some Exodus themes that are coming through here. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, symbols from other uh, Old Testament stories, particularly ones with a remnant in this passage. 
But she's there in the wilderness. She's there um, to be protected by God, protected from the oppression, uh, from the work of the dragon to try and destroy her. Uh, and we've seen previously at other times that these 1260 years represent these m medieval periods, the Middle Ages, uh, and, and then some from 538 to 1798, um, where basically one religion, well, one faith, where, where the universal church, the papal church, reigned supreme. Uh, and unfortunately, we saw a lot of persecutions during that time. And this often happens when any um, religion kind of becomes the dominant religion. You think about the pilgrims who tried to escape the Church of England. Then they came over here, and you read the story of uh, things that happened in our colonies here of a, a, a nation that was trying to set up on Christian values and principles. And then the dominant faith, the Puritans, they started persecuting those who disagreed with them. It's this unfortunate human tendency that we see. But nevertheless, God had a plan to protect um, people who, who wanted to, to stand up for what they felt was right. Verse 15, the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Remember the story of Korah and the rebellion of Korah in Numbers? Eventually the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up him, literally, in his tents. Um, but here symbolically, we find that God is protecting his people, some of them fleeing to the mountains, some of them fleeing to other countries, to try and live as they see and understand uh, the Lord and his word. And then we get to verse 17. We've lived through this 1,200 plus years of persecution, and we've come to the year 1798 and beyond, and it says the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So in this prophecy, and, and we've just skimmed the surfaces here, there's so much more we, we could have uh, looked at, we see that Satan in, in the last days is particularly upset at the remnant, at the last group, at, at the, the people who have survived this period of persecution. And he's upset with them because of who they are and what they stand for. And what do they do? What are those characteristics there in verse 17? They keep the commandments of God. Last week we saw Satan is trying to get us to break the commandments of God. We saw that even in previous weeks. But God is trying to get us to keep the commandments. Not to be saved, but because that's the the way we stay safe, uh, and that's the best way. And Satan is also, in Revelation 13, trying to get us to worship him. But this group of people, in Revelation 12, 17, they don't want to worship Satan. They don't want to give their worship or their obedience to anybody else. And so he begins this war on the remnant. Now you won't see the word remnant there unless you have the King James translation. In the Greek, as I mentioned last week, it's the word loipos, the rest. But it means the same thing. The rest of them. He's angry with them. And in chapter 13, verse 1, some of your translations, it says, then I stood on the sand of the sea. And in other verse, versions, 
it says, and the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. Um, I'm not troubled with it being either way, but for those of you that have it with a dragon standing there, it's like he's seen these people who are not going to worship him. They're keeping the commandments, they have the testimony of Jesus, and he's standing there on the sea because he's about to raise up a tool to persecute them. He's raising up out of the water that beast from the sea. Uh, in any case, um, whether it was the dragon or whether it was John, uh, the same message is clear. Satan is not happy with people who don't want to worship him, right? He wants all the worship himself. So these are people who keep the commandments of God. And they also have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it's an interesting phrase that's been debated and argued. What exactly does that mean? What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? But we have a very clear parallel passage in Revelation 19, in verse 10. What does it say the testimony of Jesus is there, Revelation 19, 10? Yeah. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I think as Adventists, to be honest, we have, we've been a little too selective and narrow in our understanding of the, of the spirit of prophecy. Um, I believe that this includes the gift of prophecy, which is manifested today, I believe, in our church through the writings of Ellen White. Uh, but it's much more than that. The spirit of prophecy comes back to the Bible itself. In fact, this was Ellen White's understanding uh, of, this, of this phrase in particular. Because th this book itself is a product of the writings of the prophets. From long ago to less long ago. All the prophets who wrote this book down. So at its most basic element, the remnant keep the commandments of God, but they have an appreciation for the words of Scripture for the messages that God has communicated first to the authors of the Bible, and then in any person who is raised up as a genuine prophet. And we believe Ellen White was given the genuine gift of prophecy. At least many of us believe that. I believe that. But as we look in the, in the book of Joel, it says in the last days, God is going to give dreams and visions to a lot of people. Who knows, maybe you will have dreams and visions from the Lord. And so, Revelation 12, 17 indicates that God's people will value his word, will value his continuing and ongoing authoritative voice through any genuine prophet that he raises up. There are many churches who say, no, the gift of prophecy was just for the book of Acts, and it, and it died then. No, no, no. The Bible says God's last day people will hang on to this gift of prophecy. They will be blessed with this appreciation and with the gift itself. And you know, we could go through a lot of criteria for the remnant. We could do a lot more than we've done already. But just based on these two indicators alone, um, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist today, and I'm happy and blessed to be a part of this church. A group of people who, who were raised up after the year 1798, a group of people who say, you know what? We want to keep all of God's commandments. 
including the fourth commandment, to respect and worship and remember the Sabbath day. A group of people who value the writings of the prophets throughout all the ages. And a group of people who recognize that God still sends prophets to this world, uh, even in this day and age. But having said all this, uh, again, I just want to remind us that God has wonderful people in all different parts of the world who are actively serving him, who are not a member of this church at present. Amen? God has wonderful people. In fact, if you read the writings of, of Ellen White, it's interesting what she said. Let me just read you something here. This is not on the screen. It's, she says, There will be among the remnant of the last days, as there were with ancient Israel, those who were not willing to submit to the teachings of the Spirit of God. So she said, yeah, sure. We have been given a special message. We have been raised up to, to, to tell a special message, but there are people in our church that are not willing to follow the Spirit of God. They don't have that characteristic of willingness. And so for them, she says, they're going to be lost unless they repent. In fact, in another place, she says, Sadly, not one in 20 people in our church is truly converted, writing in her day. So just because you're a member of a particular church, just because you know that the Saturday is the Sabbath, doesn't mean you're, you've got a, a fast track to the kingdom. As we've said before, it's knowing Jesus and having him as your Savior. But having... Jesus as my Savior, I say, you know what? I want to know him as best as I can. I want to follow him as best as I can. And as I study his word, I'm convicted. We need to keep all these commandments. We need to appreciate the writings of Scripture and the prophets and in all these other things. And so I'm here because I believe that this is where God has called me to be. I believe that this is a movement of destiny, a movement of prophecy. But I do believe that God has a work to do. Because as we've seen earlier, when you have a historical remnant, a visible remnant, God wants to turn them into a faithful remnant, an eschatological remnant, where there's a purifying process, a refining process, where we've used other language to describe it, a shaking process, right? And unfortunately, when you shake uh, things, sometimes things shake out, and sometimes... Things shake in, uh, which, which the Bible talks about. Uh, so I want to share just a couple more um, paragraphs with you before we close out for today. Because I just want to remind us, I believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a fulfillment of the remnant in Revelation 12, 17. But I want to remind us that God is working in the lives of all people all around the world, among earth's inhabitants, scattered in every land, there are those who have not bowed the knee to Baal, those that haven't compromised their principles. Like the stars of heaven, which appear only at night, these faithful ones will shine forth when darkness covers the earth and gross darkness of the people. In the heathen Africa, in the Catholic lands of Europe, in South America, in China, in India, in the lands of the sea, islands of the sea, in all the dark corners of the earth, God has in reserve a firmament of chosen ones that will yet shine forth amidst the darkness, revealing clearly to an apostate world the transforming power of obedience to his law. God has people all around the world 
book, Great Controversy, wonderful book. You should read it if you haven't read it already. And it says there, according to Scripture, many of God's people must still be in Babylon. In fact, and in what religious bodies are the greater part of the followers of Christ now to be found? Where are more of the followers of Jesus? She says, in other churches, the various churches professing the Protestant faith. God has people all around the world, but God wants to draw them and lead them and bring them to be a part of a final eschatological remnant. Go to Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. This is our last scripture for the day. Then the kids will get their gum soon. And if there's leftovers, I could take a piece. <laughs> yeah. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, what? My people. This is God speaking. Lest you share of her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Yes, God has people who are following him faithfully in all walks of life, all around the globe. But in the last days, God is wanting to draw all people and unite them under following the truth of his word, following him in obedience to his commandments, appreciation for the testimony of Jesus, appreciating what he has given us and preparing us and purifying us so that we might be ready to move forward. You know, it's exciting to be a part of a movement that's been given a special message. We've been commissioned to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the whole world, and we've been entrusted with these final messages, the three angels' messages. And I am just wanting to say today, I am grateful that God has given us this message and I don't want to just hold on to it myself. We've been given it so that we can share it. Amen. We've been entrusted with truths so that we can share the truths, so that we can share the love, recognizing that God has wonderful people all throughout the world, and God is wanting to rally all of us together and purify us all together, revival and reformation together, so that we can fully receive the Holy Spirit and be messengers so that the gospel can go to everybody, and that we can unite together under the banner of God's truth and the banner of his word, and Jesus can return. Amen. Some of you, God may call to be baptized, because you've never been baptized, or you've walked away from him for a long time. Perhaps some of you ha have been thinking about it, or God will, will say, you know what? You're not officially yet a member of this congregation, but you want to be. Um, I'm not handing out any cards or making any sort of a call today, uh, but if God lays on your heart any of those things, don't wait, don't put it off. Talk to me so that we can prayerfully plan on how to unite together, move forward in God's truth, and rejoice as we joyfully serve him and share God's word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you are so good. You've given us a message, and the world needs to know that you're good, that you're coming back, um, and that we live in some serious times where we need to follow you and accept you. So help us all to follow you and serve you. And give us opportunities uh, to spread the good news 
in the truth of your word this week. In Jesus' name, let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Sabbath. God bless you, and go in God's word.